the Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your question, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. as you may or may not know, when you got COVID, like I did, it's really important to eat a lot of ants. Because as you may know, they have antibodies. <laughs> I, it's a pity laugh. I want to be very clear about that. I'm sorry that you got COVID. And, and not only that you got COVID, but that you've been quite ill with it for several weeks. And as a result, this entire episode, I will be deferential and kind to you and <laughs> pretend that your jokes are funny even when they're not. Thanks, I want to John. be clear, though, Hank. I want you to feel the pity dripping through the phone right now. Okay. Gotcha. All right. I, don't you don't you I, love I that can feeling? Feel it it's from just you? what every uh, <laughs> I can feel it from everybody else listening. Whenever I'm really like, sick, really, should he even be doing this? <laughs> whenever I'm really sick, there's a fascinating phenomenon where the only thing people are able to give me is the one thing I really don't want, which is their sympathy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I mostly want them to be like. Uh, outraged on my behalf. Like, oh, this okay. is horrible. I'm yeah. so sorry that you're sick. Not in like a pitying way, but in a somewhat angry way. Like, how could an only arguably alive virus have upended your life in such a profound way? Anyway, I'm sorry you got COVID. Not in a sympathetic, pitying way, but in an actively angry way. It's Thanks. not fair. You shouldn't have gotten COVID. I'm mostly all I want from people is what I have been given, which is the grace of them being like, please don't feel like we yeah. need you right now. This right. is not on you. Don't worry about it. We're good. Yeah. And also is, this is right. not the other thing. This is not your fault, which is a thing that right. we do a lot to people who are sick. And I get it with colitis sometimes when people are like, have have you tried this diet? And I'm like, right, what I'm yeah. getting from that is that like uh -huh. I have a severe autoimmune disease that's very complicated and that doctors are still working to understand. And so when you say like, have you tried apples? That makes me feel a little bit like you think this is my fault and it's not yeah. my fault. And I right. need, I need yeah. you, I need us all to be on that page together. Or when people blame you for individual flares by saying something like, right. well, did you eat seeds? Did you then get it's stressed you. out? And it's like, oh, did I get stressed out? I don't know. Have you seen things? <laughs> it's, it's like the classic. Uh, it's like the classic thing that airline pilots say when they come in over the intercom and they're like, please remain calm. And you're like, <laughs> no, no, like, yeah, I can't remain calm. Not there. Because the moment I heard your voice click in with its slight quiver, I got <laughs> very scared. <laughs> you know, panic is not the correct response. Panic is never the correct response. That's why it's right. called panic. I, I'm not right. Exactly. I, I, I'm not panicked because I think it's the right thing to do. <laughs> exactly. I'm not a robot. I I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. Nobody programmed me and said don't panic in this moment. In fact, my programming says panic. Please, <laughs> yeah. by all means. <laughs> this. Oh well, John. Uh, this disease sucks, and we should do what we can to prevent ourselves from oh, getting it. I'm um, so. I'm the, so so sorry that you've the, been so sick, you know, man. And, and and it's so important to mask, which I didn't do enough, and I. Well, Hank, uh, like, we're not blaming we're not blaming the sufferer for the disease. Here's <laughs> here's what I will say about it. I. It has been really hard to see you be so sick, and I'm really glad that you're starting to feel better. I have at times felt, especially with mom and dad, like 
they were almost unaware of who is the main character of the story because they kept coming to me and being like, how is Hank feeling? How is Hank doing? How is Hank's family doing with all of this? And I was like, what about me, mom? Like, how am I doing? I, the protagonist of our family's story- Do you think that this is not hard for me? Is I am going through a difficult period. I, I am having to worry about my brother- who is arguably the second or third most important character in the story. You know, like, we should worry Why about Why isn't him. anybody asking about me? Well, I, and honestly, <laughs> I do think that's important. I think it's important that we look at the, like, I, this is legit. I think it's important that we look at the people around who are also having to deal with hard things and, and allow yes. that even because their hard thing isn't the hardest thing nearby does not mean that it's not a hard thing. And I've been reading this book that you've been uh that you've been talking about tomorrow and tomorrow oh. and tomorrow. And oh my what God. a great thing so far. Like I'm, it is such a good, you know, book. only a third of the way through it, but oh my gosh. Yeah. The, Thank you for suggesting. The it. book is called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. It's by Gabrielle Zevin. And it is truly extraordinary. It's like reading the adventures of Cavalier and clay or something. It's yeah. just a phenomenal book. I, I, it's been a very years and years since I read something that struck me so profoundly. And I know Gabrielle a little bit, you know, like uh, her first novel elsewhere came out around the same time as Looking for Alaska. We we sort of walked in the same circles for a while. And it is really wild to read a book that good that you yeah. think could be like in print in a hundred years and think, mm-hmm. well, I kind of know that person. Yeah. You know, like they seem like a fairly regular, yeah. regular person, but but this, you know, <laughs> this regular human r- wrote a, a novel that is just extraordinary. Yeah, so it's been super uh, comforting and interesting to to have be a COVID companion. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm coming off of reading a lot of like classics, and it doesn't feel like I've shifted gears at all. It feels like I'm still reading a yeah. classic. Yeah. 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 It really does. I mean, it also has a lot to teach us, I think, because the book is so much about creative collaborations and how they work and how Mm -hmm. they break down and how they have to be nurtured. And something when I, I mean, I don't want to get sentimental, but the last few weeks have, have forced me into a little bit of sentiment. And something that I've been thinking a lot about is that we, have actually done a pretty good job of nurturing our creative connection over the years, but mm-hmm. it is something that has to be paid attention to. Like it doesn't happen on its own. It's easy for fissures to develop and for distance to be created. And I just, I, I feel so lucky that after 15 years of working so closely together, I just want to keep doing it for as long as I'm here. Well, um, I know that it's been a, a lot of work on both of our parts, um, but I want to give a special shout out to me for having done most of the work. Oh, it's so true. I mean, <laughs> Hank, on the subject of how <laughs> challenging I am to work with, and I, I do understand that that you have done some of the work on that front. Uh, can I read to you a recent Goodreads review of oh, wow. The Anthropocene Reviewed? Okay, yes. I love... Goodreads reviews of the Anthropocene reviewed. It's my favorite literary genre. I know that it's bad for me, but I can't help myself. He quotes too much poetry and complains a lot. That was the full review. (laughs) 
John, do you want to go deeper into the history of Vlogbrothers with this question from Hetfi? Sure. Who asks, dear Hank and John, hello, I'm a fairly new nerd fighter, despite loving Crash Course. And I was just wondering, why are the majority of popular Vlogbrothers videos about giraffe sex and goat birth? <laughs> was this a popular topic back in the day or did many people watch them because they were simply curious? I love that there was like a past. Right. It was like, you know, you know that phase right. in the early 2010s right. when people were just really into giraffe sex? Yeah. And like it was it was that that it was it was like that in Gangnam style, you know? Right. And now we're nostalgic for it. Like that's how bad things back, have gotten that we're around. like, can we just yeah. go back to the world of Gangnam <laughs> style and giraffe sex videos? It's a great question. Well, honestly, that be that sounds like a fantastic idea. I would like that. There was a comment on a Vlogbrothers video that I think about almost every day, and it was a comment in one of the draft sex videos, and it the comment was, "Please make more hot videos about animals and other." <laughs> I remember that comment. And I think about- That's legendary. That's a legend status comment. And I think about and other almost every day. What was what was and other? What, why, oh my God. why of all the adjectives of the English language did you pick hot, etc.? I think a lot about that comment. Hot. So, um, so in the yeah, early days- do, Yeah. YouTube uh-huh. picked your thumbnail and you did not have any uh-huh. say. You could not upload a, th- a custom thumbnail. The thumbnail had to be from the video. And in the early, early days, YouTube always picked the exact central frame of your video, the exact middle yep. of your video. And can you believe it? It was controversial. Like they didn't want to let creators pick their thumbnails. Creators had to advocate for that. Yeah. And which yeah. is just a wild thought to to me now. Um, but but I was making a video, uh, and I had a I had a book. I don't even know where I got this book. That was illustrations, like like pretty uh, colored pencil illustrations of animals having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and I intentionally held up the giraffe sex page during the exact middle. And I did it in a way that you couldn't, you wouldn't notice if it was just, right. you were watching it. Right. But I knew exactly what I was doing because creators would make their central frame something that was more eye-catching. And I thought that that would be hilarious. And I talked about animal sex in that video. I think it's a very and important thing. very well. It did great. It, it was our best performing video other than the video that got featured on the front page of YouTube in our first year on YouTube. I think it's really important yeah. to note that even though now we are thought of as like these sort of... Um, old school creators who do it the right way and aren't in it for the audience (laughs) and just want to like make the world Uh better. Like, I hope that that is true of us, but we contain multitudes and Hank and I click baited, not all the time, but we, we click baited some of the time for sure. Yeah. And we did it because we wanted audience. Yeah. And that, that video is now not in our, not in our top, but it, it, uh, so that was the first. It, it was early on. Um, and I remember getting an email from one of our people at uh, at YouTube and that was like yeah. really disappointed. They were, they were like, not, not in yeah. this one, but in a different one. And they were like, why would you right. do this? And it's like, ah, uh, because I really wanted the yeah. views. Yeah. And by the way, there are a lot of <laughs> nerd fighters, hundreds, maybe even over a thousand who trace... Yeah their own journeys into nerdfighteria through a mm-hmm. goat giving birth. 
<laughs> like, yeah. And, and the Which, reason, honestly, a goat giving birth be- better, better than the giraffe sex. And the reason we made goat giving birth videos was because our parents owned goats. <laughs> and like, it yeah. was, we would be visiting our parents and there would be a goat giving birth. And we would be like, well, I guess that's going to make a really popular YouTube video. I got to, I got to make some kind of video today. Yeah. Right. But the other thing, Hank, mm-hmm. is sometimes when I think about how did we start making educational content on YouTube, I think you held up this picture that for a flash showed giraffe mating, it got a lot of views. And then one of us, I think it was you, made a video that was actually all about giraffe mating, yeah. which turns out so to be fascinating. So after that video did well, yeah, we start, we like intentionally, so that video wasn't even about giraffe sex. It just had the thumbnail. Yeah. And and then after that one did well, we started to make video, like we made t- at least two videos about giraffe sex. At and least. one of them I was you. Maybe mm, more. You did two of them. You have yeah. the, the, the two most popular ones. I think you did the giraffe sex videos, John. I think you were jealous of mine doing well. And you were like, maybe. I'm going to take yours that got a million views and I'm going to make one that gets 16 million views. Very possible. Our most viewed video. But the thing. And the other The other piece of this puzzle is that for a long time, YouTube measured the success of a video based on one factor, and that's whether or not someone clicked on it. They did not measure how much people disliked it once they watched it or how long they spent watching it. All they cared about is whether it got clicked on. When that changed, those videos ceased getting views. So now those Jurassic videos get no no views because YouTube doesn't show it to anybody because people actually click on it and they are disappointed and they don't watch the whole video because they they thought they were going to get to watch giraffes having sex. And instead they just get a description of how it happens, which I guess isn't yeah. as... <laughs> Not really what they want. Quite as thrilling. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that when I look at when we started making truly educational content on YouTube, I turned to the giraffe sex videos. Like that was yeah. our first time really trying to explore and explain complicated issues of biology in relatively straightforward terms. And so did giraffe sex inevitably lead to crash course? Kinda. Sure. And if that's the case, then I think we made the right choice. (laughs) Yeah, we could have made an animal mating channel, but instead we made crash course. Yeah, that's right. Please make more hot videos about animals and other... Oh my gosh. It's a it's a world, John. We exist inside of it. <laughs> All right. Obviously, Hank and I would be happy to sit in our rocking chairs and chat about the good old days of YouTube to our grandchildren. But let's move on and answer at least one other question from our listeners. Yeah. Beginning with this one from L, who writes, Dear John and Hank, while on holiday in Paris, I rode a bicycle. This is something I haven't done since I was a child, and contrary to popular belief, it was not very easy to pick up again. In fact, I fell off many times. Why is it that when a bicycle is stationary, it tips over, but when moving, it stays upright? Sounds like the letter L. L. Oh, nice. That's That does clear some, some things up. So this is... Yeah. Uh, you can watch YouTube videos about how about this, and it will explain it to you in ways that that will be more intuitive because you'll get the visual component, but... Basically, a bicycle is structured in such a way that the front tips when it's moving, or even when it's not, the front tips faster than the back. And when this happens when it's moving, the front tips before the back tips, and that allows the wheel to turn, and that actually gets the bicycle's center of gravity back under itself. 
and then it will turn the other oh. way and it will it self stabilizes in this way. So when it's when it's starting to lean, the wheel will turn and it, into the lean and that will move the bicycle center of gravity back on top of itself. And that obviously can't but happen only when, if it's it's not moving. Moving. when it's when it's not moving. Right. It it doesn't have the ability to correct, to, to sort of move into the turn that allows it to do the self-stabilization, which is really cool. And they are constructed this way intentionally. And that is why bicycles are sort of like, you know, if we hadn't seen a bunch of people riding bicycles, it would be like, are you serious? You think that's, that's going to work? That's not going to work. Because mm. because it, it would seem to our sort of subconscious like it would be as hard to ride as a unicycle, which is possible, but much harder than a bicycle. But because of the way that they are constructed, it, al- it allows for this self-stabilization that makes riding a bicycle uh, much easier than it than it would otherwise be. And you can build a bicycle that doesn't have that property, and it is very, very hard to ride. Fascinating. Well, there you go. Proper answers to your proper questions. This next question comes from Sam, who asks, Dear Ink and John, ahoy there. I was just sitting on the ground when my stomach told me it wanted food quite loudly. How does my stomach do this? Like, does my microbiome get on the intercom to tell me that it's hungry? I'm going to go eat food now. Stomach rumbling, Sam. I ask, I answer this question because uh, as uh, I was talking to Deboki about it, it became clear that the, st- the tummy is not rumbling. It's not the tummy. And this upset me. Oh. Is it the intestines? It's the intestines. The tummy oh, doesn't do the rumbling. That's, that's that's not good. Do you want me to go back in time and make it so that I didn't tell you about that? Because I kind of wish I like didn't it. know about that either. Because it feels like I'd my like... tummy. No. It feels like the tummy, John. It does, but it's not. It's the intestines. It's the intestines. They're saying, like, fill us. Nah. I'm a big Give snake in your body. I just want... <laughs> I just want thing. I just want goop to pass through so I can suck out the parts that are your food and leave in the parts that are poop. Now, that's what an intestine sounds like. That's a that is its voice. It's I, like it's like Gilbert Gottfried. Ever since you told me that we are basically just worms and that we have a tube that the stuff goes in and then the stuff goes through the tube and we use what we need of it and the rest of it we poop out the other end of the tube and that we're just, all the flesh that's around the tube is just glorified worm. I have not been able to stop thinking about the fact that we're just worms with limbs pretending like every day acting as if we are not flesh-covered tubes. Yeah, well, look, it's it's we're not just flesh covered tubes, John. We're we are more than that. Um, We're flesh covered tubes that like sing, um, you know, watermelon sugar. So that's good. Like that's that's more. That's bigger than just a flesh tube. Like a worm's never done that. Right. But we literally use the tube to sing watermelon sugar like we harry styles absolutely use the <laughs> is John, using... tell me about tell me about harry styles poop tube <laughs> he's using his flesh tube to be to like send air through the tube so that the air comes out sounding like watermelon sugar which is amazing i don't get me wrong i'm not saying i'm not impressed with humans it's incredible 
that we've been able to do what we've been able to do so far because we are basically worms. <laughs> like that, <laughs> yeah. that is what makes it so amazing. Yeah, so <laughs> so the, the amazing, amazing thing going on right now, the James Webb Space Telescope peering farther back in time, and it is, yeah. this is compounded by the fact that that was made possible by a bunch of tubes of flesh. All the, literally everyone involved in making the James Webb Space Telescope is a flesh tube, is like a glorified yeah. worm. And we put that thing in mm-hmm. space. Yeah, we, we it, basically, we, we turned a bunch of chicken and carrots into the ideas <laughs> for a telescope. Yeah, yeah. That, like, I, I, I think in some ways that's celebrating humanity. So what, you know what? Thank That's right, God Tom. our intestines are rumbling. What a wonder. Hooray, huzzah, rumbling intestines everywhere. I need to ask you a more important question. Okay. At the very beginning of Sam's email, Sam writes, Ahoy there, Hank and John. Yeah. I was sitting on the ground at work. Now, there are two things that I'd like to point out here, Hank. Mm-hmm. The first is sitting on the ground. And the uh-huh. second is ahoy there. Are uh-huh. you allowed to say ahoy there when you are on land? Or is that exclusively a sea-based greeting? So you're saying that like we 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 have proof that Sam is on the ground. That Sam is on the ground. Gotcha. Not okay. at sea. I thought I thought you were just gonna be like, why do you sit on the ground at work? And I'm like, there's all kinds of work, John. Oh, but God, you're well, saying I'm I'm literally sitting on the ground at work right now. <laughs> so no, no judgment there. <laughs> so you're saying uh, this is a ground-based person, and they are saying, ahoy there, ahoy is that there. okay? Ahoy there! Is it okay? I definitely, like, in my mind, if I if I picture someone saying, ahoy there, they are floating. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, yeah. that's my, that is, that is what my brain has said. But I don't think there's any reason why that needs to be the case. I, I, I believe that ahoy does not, it, it is now a, a, a nautical greeting but it does not need to be and was not always. Well, I'm glad that we have found something that we can disagree about vehemently because I strongly feel that ahoy should be reserved for mateys. All right, John. The, according out there to doing matey stuff. According to dictionary.com, there are yeah. two there are two ex- ways that you can use the exclamation ahoy. There's nautical and humorous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so your proposal is that so, Sam intended humorous rather than nautical. Yes. Uh-huh. That's, that's my that's what I am what I am implying. <laughs> All right. I'll I'll allow it. But if you have a serious land-based ahoy, just remember uh-huh. that is according to dictionary.com incorrect. <laughs> it either has to be nautical, nautical or humorous. Or humorous. <laughs> Oh, the linguists. Please don't email us. Please, we're, we're trying to be, we're not trying to be prescriptivist, I promise. Please don't, right. please don't yell at us. This next <laughs> question comes from Angie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, hello. See, that works. <laughs> <laughs> Neither nautical nor humorous. I have been watching a fabulous series on dinosaurs, and it occurred to me that many dinosaurs were very big, like so big. My question is, how did they get to be so big? And also, why aren't animals that big anymore? What could have changed in the last 200 million or so years? I mean, a lot, Angie. (laughs) I mean, so much. Inquiring minds want to know, avid Anthropocene inhabitant, Angie. 
Um, I, I wasn't really able to get to the bottom of this one, though I tried. So there's two pieces to this, of course. There's like, why is it better to be bigger? Like, what's the evolutionary pressure towards gi- giganticness? And I think yeah. that that was mostly, I think, an arms race between the predators and the prey. And so mm-hmm. the predators kept ge- getting bigger as the as the prey animals kept getting bigger. And then to protect themselves against the more, uh, the gianter and gianter uh, predators, they kept getting bigger and bigger. Um, that, so that's pro- that's probably, I think, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that that's prop that's part of it. And so, like, if you're super big, and your children are super big, also, um, that just yeah. decreases the opportunity for you to get predated. Um, and then there's also like what a what a polite word for eaten, <laughs> predated. <laughs> I really then, like that. I think we should I think we should only refer to it as predated. Like what would you like for dinner? I think I'd like to predate a chicken. <laughs> I don't know that that word exists. I think I'd, I I would I may have made it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be know predation this evening, is a word. This evening I'll be predating duck. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a word. It's a word. Yeah. Um, I don't think I, I think we should get rid of eating all all altogether <laughs> and refer only to the act of predation. That might make more people be vegetarian more of the time if you weren't yeah. allowed to say eating anymore and you had to say predated and you weren't allowed to say pork, yeah. you had to say pig, like we, you had to say yeah. the specific thing. I'm going to be yeah. predating some ham hocks this evening. <laughs> Which is absolutely true. That is what is occurring. Um, j- just to continue to tear down the layers of of you feeling like a human, you're a worm, and you predate pigs. Um, just, just a gigantic worm predating slightly smaller worms. That and, and <laughs> you are apparently in an arms race to get bigger, yeah. so that so that you can predate ever bigger. Yeah, potential and then there's prey. There's also the uh, the the reality that you're in an arms race against other sauropods. So I'm talking about like the biggest dinosaurs right here. So you're in an arms sure. race against other sauropods to reach uh, beyond the what they can trees. reach for for food. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so so there's that pressure, and then there's like functionally, how can you be that big? Which is not easy because like. You, if you have like a, a head that's really far away from your heart, you got to get blood all that way. If you're really heavy, mm-hmm. you have to have. And the, the, it turns out there's nothing special about the bones of sauropods. They are uh, structured very similarly to like cow bones. So they, they they are at the limit, you know, at at their biggest. They were at the limit of what bones could support. And and there also people think that probably they maybe supported themselves by being um, in the water a lot. Which would mm. counterbalance some of that, like uh, the the weight of that. Um, sure. But so it, it seems like it was some kind of pressure toward um, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then functionally how to do it. Like you had to do things like they made their heads. Like sauropods' heads are super small, so that there isn't as much like stuff to to carry. They didn't have a lot of teeth up there. They're um, so like the, obviously like the thing on the very end of the neck that's like the end of the fulcrum and so you have to make sure that that's like least heavy in order to get it to be longer um and so they just like made their heads smaller and smaller which allowed their necks to be bigger and bigger which is wild uh is yeah so uh, there isn't any like functional reason why a sauropod couldn't exist on our current earth but the i think that the sort of dynamics of uh, the diversity of life that is able to capture nutrients all around, both from sauropods and from like the leaves of trees 
or trees being better at sort of not wanting to be eaten uh, all sort of like led to that strategy not being duplicated after the, the extinction event. Although we should say two things. One, the largest animal ever to live is currently alive, the blue That's whale. True. Not not a land animal, yeah. Not a land animal. Not primarily. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can. Right? You'd spend like yeah, five minutes do. on land. Yeah. The last five yeah, you... minutes, but still. <laughs> just like the rest of us, it's just a worm. What does it matter? It's just a big tube. Uh, just a big worm. Yeah. Secondly, didn't ex- sorry to get so nihilistic. Secondly, uh, we should note that implied in Hank's answer is the possibility of cows the size of an apatosaurus, which is extremely <laughs> exciting. And I think we, I can't believe we've been wasting all of this time fighting with each other about whether there should be a live action Aladdin and everything else that we've been arguing about over the last, say, 500 years when we could have been focusing all of our resources on making gigantic cows that will inevitably it, crush it, us and take probably, over the planet. It probably wouldn't work with a warm blooded lifestyle, oh, but dang but, it, Hank. Look. We could make cold-blooded cows. We could like they, they could. Cold they just have to. They just have cows. to adjust. They have to cold, figure out a new way. Gigantic cold-blooded cows are yes. The and now who's getting predated? <laughs> Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by gigantic cold-blooded cows. They are. There's a new lobby. They're out to. They're out to make themselves exist. One bizarre and unethical experiment at a time. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the humorous Ahoy. The humorous <laughs> Ahoy, one of only two Ahoys allowable. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by antibodies. Antibodies. Get them in your mouth. That's the only way to protect yourself from COVID. Only way. And of course, today's podcast is brought to you by your rumbling flesh tube. Your rumbling flesh <laughs> tube. It is all you will ever be. Gosh, John. Uh, We're also going to seamlessly transition to this project for awesome message. <laughs> from, from Emily. For which we must apologize. From Emily, who's just a flesh tube. <laughs> to Christopher, who is also, in spite of everything, just a flesh tube. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sliding mm-hmm. into my DMs three years ago, for listening to the Anthropocene reviewed a week later upon my recommendation, and then declaring it your favorite podcast and joining me in this nerdfighter community with Vlog Brothers and all their other content ever since. I had always wished that I'd marry a nerdfighter, so I felt even more sure you were the one when it was so easy to convert. You wow. can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you, Emily. Wow. I have I'm, to... I'm on the edge, John. I'm on the edge. Yeah. Emotionally. And that almost did it to me. I almost went over. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful, in fact, that I need to re-record the intro um, so that Emily and Christopher can actually have a nice nice moment instead of that. Okay. We also have a Project for Awesome message from Emily from Singapore to Christopher. And it's so lovely. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials. 
essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly ship to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. You know, John, I was able to throw away all of my deodorant uh, after getting COVID. Oh, why? Because my doctor told me that I literally can't smell anymore. Oh, I didn't realize this is gonna. There was gonna be a surprise second dad joke. So grateful. <laughs> I just I had to come up with COVID dad jokes. So it's good. I like it. I, I I can smell your pity. Thank you. The more tortured version of it that I might like more for its depth goes uh-huh. back to our earlier yeah. discussion about who's the main character. I was able to throw uh-huh. away all of my deodorant because I, the only person who matters, can't smell myself. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I I literally re- realized like I had not thought of that uh side effect of not having a sense of smell and and realized quite quickly that it actually was a problem. How is your sense of smell these days? Uh it's improving. It's definitely coming back. It's probably like at at maybe 30 40% now. Uh black licorice and uh and blue cheese both taste bad again, which is kind of too bad because I have quite a lot of both left. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time I visit, I'll, I, I can I can consume both for you, no problem. Okay. I'll hold on to my blue cheese for a few months. John, this next question comes from Morgan, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I have some free time this summer, so I've decided to try some new things in order to make myself a more interesting person. Learn to juggle. 
Play ukulele. Memorize the presidents in order and maintain my skills in Spanish and Latin. Do you have any suggestions, dubious or not, of cool, interesting, but fairly simple hobbies of things I could try to do this summer? Stay crabulous, Morgan. Thank you for, thank you yeah. so much for reminding us to stay crabulous. I don't know why we have been doing such a bad job of that. I think that juggling is something that you can get done pretty quick that you yep. hold on to pretty well. Yep. And and you don't what you don't want to do is well, I, far break it from me. But what seems unlikely is that you'll get be, beyond 3 balls. So like you I feel like to, the though. I feel like the gap between being able to juggle 3 balls and like being a really sort of exceptional juggler is very wide. Oh, it's huge. Whereas like it's quite quite quick to get to three balls. Right. But very, very, very hard to get to like, oh, I, you are good at this. You want to have that base level of competency where anytime you find three oranges, you can impress your yeah. friends. You may yeah, not or just want like to be, spend be the, occupied. <laughs> you may not want to spend like the 30,000 or whatever hours needed to become an expert mm-hmm. juggler. And I think within a hundred yeah. hours, you could become a good enough juggler that you can impress people in a small way for the rest of your life, which seems to be yeah. based on the email, the goal. The other thing I would recommend is either memorizing digits of pi or okay. what I did when I was a kid. To calm myself, and this is totally normal and not at all indicative of a pathology, I would double numbers. So I would say like 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1024, 2048, uh, et cetera. And yeah. I could go up all the way to like 16,384 by the time I was, I don't know, like 10. And that 16,384 is enough where when you do it, people are like, okay, yeah, no, that's a little weird. <laughs> the Here's here's my suggestion, yeah. Morgan. Yeah. Um you ha- like and this is some, this is for me as well. Take something if you have anything that you're like already maybe 50% there on cuz I do this all the time where I'm like I'm going to learn how to juggle and then I get like halfway there and you hit that first plateau where mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're getting any better mm-hmm. and then you stop. Mm-hmm. So like find the thing that you've already got the some thing in- you stuff already invested abandoned. in. Yes. Yeah. Pull it out I've of got the back one of, of the these, closet. It's, it's it's drumming. Like I'm not a bad like drum set, like drum kit drummer, but I am a little ways away or maybe a pretty far ways away from like being able to do it in a way where somebody would be like, oh, Hank's actually quite good at that. And but like not not nearly as far away as a person who's never done it. Right. And I just need to spend the like six months and then I will never not have that anymore. And also it's so this is the other thing. It's so fun. It's so fun to be a little bit good at drumming. It's and it's this is true with a lot of music. It's so fun to be a little bit good at guitar. And uh, and I, I you know, it, it's not like practically useful in work the way that having Spanish would be, mm-hmm. but, th- but it is like, it's just a lot of fun, but also language. That's the other thing. Those are the two things that I would like to personally spend more time on is getting a little bit better at drumming and getting sort of like, uh, walking, walk, walk around, um, Mexico city comfortable with Spanish. 32,768 is the next one. <laughs> 
All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I need to let you know something important that came in uh, to our inbox from Sarah, who who writes, Dear John and Hank, I, I thought I'd include some of my other crab flyers since you guys got a kick out of the crabulous one. I made an Instagram at crabulo at crabulo.us to share any further crab flyers. And the crab flyers are amazing. There's one that says beware, and it's a crab coming out of a toilet. And there's one that says no man, no woman, only crab. (laughs) (laughs) There's also one that says shellfish allergies are proof that God is a crab. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well... (laughs) Uh, there's also one that's not a crab one that I really, really love. It says, uh, help, I was a giraffe, and now I'm a human, and I hate it. There's, <laughs> And then there's all these, uh, like, you know, those little pull-off things that come with flyers sometimes, and they're all links to the yeah. email address giraffehelp at hotmail.com. <laughs> Do you think if you turned a giraffe into a human, like, the first thing they would say is, like, please turn me back into a giraffe? <laughs> really, really like the help. I was a giraffe and not a human, and yeah. I hate it. It really like you don't you don't get it until you see it. There's a lot of little tear off strips. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot it's, of those tear off. It's, it's anticipating a great deal of demand. Yeah, yeah. This person really needs help with their problem, which is that they used to be a giraffe and now they're a human and they hate it. I think that if you gave a giraffe a consciousness and a voice, mm-hmm. and you put them yeah. inside of a human body. They would look up yeah. at you and they would immediately say, um, thanks, but no thanks. I would yeah, like, why, did, why did you do this? I would why? like to be a giraffe again. Yeah. The thing about I was giraffes. Basic, I was basically a mammal sauropod. Like, yeah. look at me. I, was, I had I, it all worked out. I was, I was the cow that was a dinosaur. <laughs> I was as I'm as close as, as you can get. get. And now you're putting me inside of a tiny... Now you're going to make me a tiny little worm? I was such a big worm before. Now I have to think about stuff? I have to think about... Oh, First of all, you put me into a tiny worm. Second, Twitter? Really? I think that's the main thing, is that, you know, dogs know how to be dogs, giraffes know how to be giraffes, and humans just Mm -hmm. don't know how to be humans. Oh, yeah. Hello, Sarah. Yeah. Giraffe would would take one look at our system and be like, you call that a separation of powers? Are you kidding me? (laughs) So this purportedly independent judiciary system is <laughs> appointed by the other systems? I don't understand. For and and for life and at random? <laughs> wait, and you wait, wait, wait. And you're te- you're telling me that you get like way more votes if you live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's, so wait, wait that is oh, dubious, okay. sir. Six hundred thousand people in Idaho matter as much <laughs> as fifty-five million people in California. I oh, think I will go back great, to being guys. a giraffe. Thank you. <laughs> Where we have proper equity. <laughs> <laughs> we just do it based on how our pee smells. It's way better. <laughs> And that is just a little glimpse of what you can learn at youtube.com slash vlogbrothers if you yeah. search for giraffe you look sex. at our most, most popular videos. Hank, what's the news from Mars? Uh, well, the news from Mars is that the James Webb Space Telescope, by now, the people of the world who oh, are so listening have seen images that I have not seen. I'm very jealous of you, future people. Uh, uh, we're recording this. We're about to get the first one today, and then tomorrow we'll get the other 
the other three slash four, depending on how you count a spectrum from an exoplanet. And I uh, am so excited. And oh my God, like I made our, like I made a video about the New Space Space Telescope on Vlogbrothers more than a decade ago about how exciting mm-hmm. it was. And it, uh, you know, it, it just watching it all have worked so well and also, you know, even having seen the test images that have come out, it's extremely exciting and we are going to learn so much about our universe and also just see, um, I don't know, I think that we'll uh, potentially see ourselves in a really different way because of this. So I love that yeah. part of being a human. Giraffe's got nothing on that. I'm so excited to see these images tomorrow. In the past, as people are hearing this, but tomorrow as we're recording it, you've done a great job of like prepping me and getting me excited. So thank you. Well, Hank, the news from AFC Wimbledon is slightly less joyous. Um, We played our first friendlies, like our first preseason friendlies to get a a sense of where we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our our first preseason friendly... Um, was against Eastbourne Borough, uh, plying their trade in the sixth tier of English football. We lost that game 1-0. Uh, now, it's preseason. You know, we weren't necessarily playing all of our best players. Yep. But, but I can't help but notice that we were playing a lot of our best players. <laughs> <laughs> and failing to score against a sixth tier English soccer team... Uh, does mm. rather raise a question that that I think has been on the mind of, of most AFC Wimbledon supporters lately, which is who precisely is going to score the goals? Right. Yes. We, we who don't can seem, who who loses to us? Do we have a striker? Because that doesn't happen without goals. Do we have a striker who isn't literally 15? Oh, boy. No, nothing against our hardworking 15-year-old strikers. But can we sign Is he actually 15? Oh yeah. Can we sign an adult for chance? John. So it's a little bit of a worry. We need, we need a, we need a, we need a grown up striker who can score goals in the fourth tier of English football. That, that seems like a critical signing to me. Do you, do you think that you have it in you to get in there, become the new manager and really shape that club up? I do not think for one second that I would be a better manager of AFC Wimbledon than Johnny Jackson, Johnny Jackson, the man whose name you must say in an American accent. I am rooting for Johnny Jackson so hard just over the next five years on this podcast, I can say Johnny Jackson. Yeah. So we'll see. What what league? So in 2028, when we arrive on Mars, yes. what league will AFC Wimbledon be in? Mm, the third tier or the second tier. We really need some outside investors. Why are there no billionaires who listen to this podcast? It's very frustrating. If you're a billionaire- I don't really get, I don't get why Ryan Reynolds saw your great passion and was like, I will invest in a different team. (laughs) Well, I think Ryan, there were a lot of factors at play. Uh, (laughs) I I know what you were about to say. That said, Ryan, if you're listening- you know. That's right. And you want to do us you a know. favor, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I don't know how well you're doing, but I feel like probably pretty good. <laughs> um 
No, I was thinking more of like a tech billionaire who's starting to yeah, okay. feel a little bit uh, lonely and meaningless and, and aimless and <laughs> listens to this podcast on like their daily two hour long self-punishment sweat yoga CrossFit workout. <laughs> And maybe they're like, I don't know if I should be running Twitter and growing a beard anymore. Maybe I should be investing in a fourth-tier English soccer team. Oh, wow. You're going to get in league. Oh, I would get in league. I guess literally. I would get in league <laughs> with, I would be, there is no money so dirty that I wouldn't get in business with it for the good of Wimbledon. <laughs> Give me a call, Elon. Terrible. Terrible. Hank, thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody for listening. You can email us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Sorry, we didn't answer more of them today. Uh, you can also follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn, where we have a weekly podcast called This Week in Stuff that we're off to record right now. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosie. Hals Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Tavoki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.